Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've got John Paul taking your calls at 1850 333 103 and you can text or WhatsApp us to 0862 103 103. And I want to start this morning uh, with a story that we've been running uh, on our news service this morning and indeed when it broke yesterday evening and this is Gardaí investigating the horrific discovery of the body of a woman in a burning car in a remote woodland area of North Cork uh, and then there was subsequently the rescue of a man from a nearby river our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran joins me from the scene uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you, are, you are welcome. Now, can you just first of all explain to us where, where exactly you are and where this happened yesterday? I'm in a rural area that's just outside the village of Donnerail in North Cork. Now, it's out the Castletown Roach Road, about maybe three or four miles out the road. And it's uh, beside a wooded area which is known locally as Drum Deer Woods and it's an area that is is very very quiet now there are a number of houses dotted around the place but generally speaking a really really quiet area and um, I think in the last year it's become quite a popular walking area where for people who you know can't go beyond their five kilometers so you know it is it's a wooded area and people have come here to go walking but it is a very isolated spot and uh, would be quite difficult to find if you did know that it was here um, but yesterday uh, just after four o'clock people who were walking in the area noticed that a car was on fire and they contacted the emergency services and one unit of the Mallow Fire Brigade attended at the scene along with Gardaí and when they extinguished the fire uh, they discovered that there was actually a body inside that car. Now it's um, since developed that um, that person was a woman and it's understood that she was in her 70s and from uh, the Drumahan area outside Mallow. Um, but uh, the state pathologist has arrived here this morning, assistant state pathologist Dr Margaret Bolster, and she is carrying out a preliminary examination right now and the body will be taken to Cork University Hospital later this morning where Dr Bolster will be carrying out a full post-mortem examination and Gardaí are waiting for the results of that body to determine their course of their investigation. Now also yesterday, just after they had discovered the body in the burning car, um, a search was carried out of the area and in the nearby river Aubeg, just several kilometres down from where um, this burning car was, Gardaí 
Gardaí discovered a man in the river and he was rescued. Now, his um, he was taken to Cork University Hospital. He was suffering from hypothermia when he was dragged from the river. And um, I understand that his condition this morning is stable and Gardaí will be hoping to speak to him over the coming days. Now, he um, is understood to be a man in his 60s and was from just over the border in County Limerick. Um, and Gardaí will obviously be as trying to establish uh, how these people were known to each other and trying to establish the whole circumstances surrounding what happened here yesterday. Now, the scene was sealed off and preserved yesterday evening. And a second car that was near where the car was um the burning car was and um, that's also been sealed off and is going to be examined this morning the Garda Technical Bureau from Dublin will be arriving here in the coming hours and they will be carrying out a full examination of the scene so at this stage Patricia it is very early in the investigation Garda are trying to piece all of the information together and they have issued an appeal for witnesses so anyone who was in this area yesterday afternoon between the hours of three and five o'clock and who may have seen anything or who may have have seen uh, the car the car that was burnt out was a Dacia duster so if anybody um, in the area noticed anything at all they're asked to contact for Moy Garda station or the Garda confidential line and Garda are particularly interested in speaking to anyone who uh, may have mobile phone footage or dash cam footage um, for those people to to contact Garda as well because they may have clues as to what happened here yesterday afternoon. Okay, and as you say, uh, Drumdeer Woods, popular area for walking and it was a lovely day mm. weather-wise yesterday so people may have been um, out and about. Yes. And at this stage, no formal identification has been made of the woman? No, no formal identification as yet. And that could take some time. They may even need to, to use dental records um, at this stage. But, um, you know, Gardaí are trying to piece everything together. And uh, that appeal for information is, is crucial to their investigation. And just, Patricia, the number for Fermoy Garda Station, for anyone who may have information, is 025-82100. That number again is 025-82100. Now, obviously, there's a lot of shock in the area. Um, and just in the last few minutes a number of local councillors have arrived here and I'm going to be speaking to them in the in the next few minutes um, Councillor Frank Roach was actually here at the scene yesterday and he's here he's going to be talking to me in a few minutes but he um, has described on radio this morning already how he was doing his work yesterday in this area and he came across the scene as it was unfolding so you know a lot of people in this area as we said you know it's a, it's a rural area it's a quiet area Donnerail village itself is very very quiet as well um, so it's come as a huge shock to people in the area absolutely. and um, absolutely you know okay. and obviously the communities where these two people have come from will obviously be in shock as well and I think Councillor uh, Willie O'Leary did ask people this morning not to speculate on what happened and to wait until we hear from the guard the, the exact uh, the exact uh, things that happened here yesterday. Okay, and our thoughts and prayers with uh, all of the families uh, mm. concerned. Listen, thank you for that, Fiona. If anything breaks uh, while we're still on air, we'll speak with you later. Thank you for that, Don. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is our senior news reporter, uh, Fiona Corcoran, joining us uh, live from the scene of that um, 
awful tragedy that unfolded uh, yesterday and to that poor woman uh, may she rest uh, in peace. Uh, 1850-333-103 John Paul continues to take your calls uh, this morning. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Later on in the programme we are going to be discussing the issue of planning and particular one-off planning and the problems that some people have trying to build sometimes on land that has been in their families for generations you know might be a farming family or son or daughter might want to build a one-off uh, house it's an issue that has come up in with Limerick County Council but it's an issue that I think could be is reflected all over the country it isn't something that just happens in Limerick it isn't something that just happens here in Cork it's an issue that happens all over the country and it's something that really needs to be sorted out and Michael in Castletown Bears says Patricia you're broadcasting long enough uh, to know that the 1963 Planning Act belongs to an era of the past that was written in Ireland's darkest days and I've called many a time for the Act to be put into the history books the Act does more damage to the people of Ireland especially rural Ireland than any other Act ever has that I'm aware of it's persecuted the rural Ireland population it was designed by city and urban planners and voted into law by all of the rural councillors at the time I say shame on them many a son and a daughter left rural Ireland because of their reckless decisions they can't build a house on their own land yet the wild animal the fox and the badger can come in and build theirs and he can't be moved they are protected yet our sons and daughters are not thanking you says uh, Michael and I've no doubt that a text like that is going to resonate with so many people who over the years were frustrated by planning laws and turned down for planning if you have a a story to share with us we certainly would love to hear from you 1850-333-103 lines open text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 I want to break free I want to 
That's music from Queen on C103 and that is I Want to Break Free. I've had a lovely email in from Karen emailing overseas wondering if I could mention her nana because it's her nana's birthday next Sunday and that is Mary Ann Cullinan from Kiskame Village and Mary Ann is going to be 97 on Sunday and Karen writes in her email would you wish her a happy birthday please on the radio because she always has Jan in the kitchen and celebrating is going to be so very different this year. I'm still not able to fly home to her due to COVID and I always come home for her birthday but as Nana has already said once this is all over it'll be time for us all to celebrate. She normally has mass on her birthday and then feeds all of the family and the neighbours so it's going to be very different this year so happy birthday uh, Mary Ann Cullinan of Kiskame Village no doubt she'll still have a very special day on Sunday and please God when this time and this time will pass there will be a huge celebration and the birthday party next year for the 98th will be even more special and thank you to Karen uh, emailing Patricia at c103.ie and I mentioned the free postcards that on post have been delivering to people's households over the last week or so and there's one of them is blank and it says on it you use the front of this postcard to create your own design and the idea would be that you might get children maybe to draw a little picture or if you're arty yourself you might do a little bit of drawing or like I did when the one came into my house with Marsha she stuck some nice stickers on it and we sent that off to her at Nana and then we were getting suggestions in yesterday was suggested that people might consider sending them to the frontline workers in hospitals and in local nursing homes just to say look guys we're thinking of you we know you're doing amazing work and then someone else had suggested that if you're not arty but you want to send the blank card to put a photograph on it it could be a photograph of yourself or a nice photograph that you have taken and stick a photograph onto the front of it well lo and behold uh, Elizabeth and I don't know where Elizabeth is sending this postcard from but she sends in a lovely postcard with a lovely message to myself and uh, John Paul with a photograph that she took herself and it's a gorgeous photograph taken looking at the it looks like an evening night sky red sky at night shepherd's delight and there's a photograph of sheep on a hill it really is a stunning photograph you've got a great eye for a good photograph Elizabeth I'll give you that so thank you for that really appreciate that it arrived in the post this morning 1850-333-103 John Paul takes your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance can sale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Eggfoil Amok, Quid Denanir is Farlin. Shot 8 C103 Air Kirkig. Kirkig.
Oscliach Park Glauna Tromore Lediani, Erendevo Yas Dungahers, Agassis Fader Shoe, Nutamontrige, Hogalor Rodiger Fader Yan of Safork, Ha Rian BMX An, Unadakweh de Fenair, Is Fader Rugby Immertown, Dollar Q Lodi, Agastha and Dome Alm, Is Fader Raika Oiler Galor does not deal Suntashita Gurkig, Unwinta Fiachanisha, Ha Park Glauna Tromore, Erendevo Yas Dungahers, Nukta, Quid Denaniha, Is Fari Gurkig, C103. Now, a 52-year-old man from West Cork has been jailed for five years for the ongoing harassment of a former work colleague who he eventually threatened to rape. The only explanation given by James Steele of Roscarbury for his actions was that he'd become obsessed with her. Uh, Una Ring, who was the victim of the harassment, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Una. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well and can I start by saying thank you for agreeing to, to join us and, and to share your story because I think it's incredibly brave of you but I also think it's important to get the message out to others that this form of harassment has to be called out for what it is and it has to be stopped. So so well done for sharing your uh, story. So I suppose, take me back, when and how did you first meet this man, James Steele? Um, well, I met him through work. I worked with him for 18 months um, and during that time, there was there was nothing suspicious about his behaviour. Like he he came across very very friendly. Um, he showed no interest in 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 myself. Or you know, he he, he there was no red flags in his behaviour. So um, it was just a normal work colleague relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much, like. Yeah, just a very friendly guy, but as I said, no, nothing creepy or no, no inappropriate behaviour or comments or anything. Like he would have been the last person that I would have thought capable of something like this, you know. So then he left work in February of last year. Yeah, correct. That's right. Yeah. And then how soon after leaving when he left the job? But obviously you thought that would be the last you would have seen seen of yeah. him. When yeah. did he start to contact you? Uh, pretty much the following day, um, he like he had moved to um, a, a different company, and he rang me and he asked me um, if I could call to his new place of employment and hand over like those ongoing projects belong to him. Um, so I said, look, there's no point in me calling to you. You can call here because all the paperwork was in was in my office. Mm. Um, so that like it, it kind of made no sense for me to call to him. So that was grand. Then the following day, he rang and he said, "Look, that he'd been talking to his new employers, so they were they they wanted to talk to me about offering me a, a position in their company." Um, and again, I said, "Look, I'm I'm extremely happy where I am. I have no intention of leaving." Um, so again, declined to to call to his new place of work. And then he rang me again and said, "Look, we're having um, our official opening, and could you come and give me a hand? You know, just to set up the conference room." Um, so I said, yeah, no problem. Look, I said, like, I said to myself, look, he's in a new place in employment. He wants to make a good impression. So I, I did agree to go and and give him a hand and help him out. And um, it was it was all a ruse just to get me on my own um, in the in, in his new place of employment. You know. And um, that was the day that you realised this guy has feelings, was it? Yeah, yeah. Um, he made advances um, towards me that day. Um, there was just the two of us in the building. Um, he put his arms around me. He started trying to kiss me and I kept moving my head back and saying, look, I don't want this. And he was, well, you won't know unless you try. And I said, James, I really don't want this. And he was, well, you won't know unless you try. And I did get, I was able to shove him away and I said, look, just just stop. It's not going to happen. 
And he said, look, I'm separated and, you know, I think we'd make a good couple. And I said, look, I've, 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 I've a lot on at the minute. I'm working long hours. I've, I've my kids at home and I just not, I had no interest in having a relationship with anybody at the moment. I didn't want to say like. With oh. you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I, I didn't have any interest in having a relationship at the time with anybody. But like he had never, um. You know, I, I had never found him attractive. I had never, like, well, I thought he was married anyway. But he, even even if I had known he was he was separated, like, he, he wouldn't be my type of person. Yeah, you say, weren't you know? attracted to him, and there wasn't even any flirtatious nothing, nothing actions no. between either of you. So you you got away, obviously, that day. Yeah, yeah, I did. I got away that day, um, but I was very shaken up over it, um, and it, it played on my mind. Like the messaging then um, started. Kind of continuously. The very next day, he he sent a message and apologized for his behaviour. And I said, "Look, and I accept your apology, but any further contact is is just to be professional only. If there's any work queries, you know, when when somebody leaves, there can kind of be a fortnight of, you know, queries or whatever. So I said, "Look, any further contact is to be professional only." And he said, "Fine." And then the messages started again. Like he was getting a bit irate because I wasn't. I wasn't messaging him back. I just thought, look, if I ignore him, he'll get the message and he'll go away, you know. Um, and then on the 1st of April, he said, look, I have because I haven't heard from you, I'm going to call to your house. And now, I didn't think that he knew where I lived, but at the same time, I kind of was a bit um, anxious over that. So I said, look, don't call to my house. Don't contact me again. And he said, fine, um, I won't contact you again. And that was on the 1st of April and there was nothing then. Um, and then in June, I said, look, I, I'm really not happy about this. So I did go to the guards and I did report it. Okay. Um, just to have it on record, I knew that there was nothing could be done about it because obviously there was no proof that anything had happened. It, it would have been his word against mine. I didn't want him spoken to. And um, the, the guard that I spoke to, no, he did take it very seriously. And he said, look, I'm going to have a chat with my sergeant. And the, he rang me back within the hour and said, look, we can go and speak to him, but like you have to kind of weigh up your own safety. There hasn't been any contact with him from April. Will we draw him out by speaking to him? Um, and I said, look, I, I I would rather he didn't speak to him. I just wanted it on record in case he did anything to anybody else. Or if anything happened to me down the line, that there'd be a record of it, you know. Okay. So we, we left it at that and... Um, Nothing, there was nothing then until, there was no messages, there was nothing until the car was painted in July. Now, describe, you came out one morning, just describe what happened. I came out, well, it was actually my daughter, um, she was leaving the car out and she came up and she said, Mam, your your wheels are pink. I was like, what? And she said, yeah, your your wheels are pink. We went down and um, went out and the tyres were like, a bubblegum pink like a, a bright pink so we walked around the park um, just to see was there anybody else's cars now I did think of him straight away and I said it to her I said I, I wonder is it himself and she was like God no like pink you know um, so we walked around the park there was no other cars done um, we walked around the, the the park that's adjacent to ours there was no other cars done but it was like yeah I, I, I don't know so I called the guards and in fairness, they were up within the hour and took photographs, took a statement, um, and 
do you know, like we kind of had a chat about it and I, I still didn't think that it was him, to be honest, because it was so kind of teenage prankish and I was like, do you know, what 52-year-old man is going to drive an hour and a half to spray pink, you know? Mm. So then the following week, um, we got up and the, there was X's and O's on the window um, of the front room and there was I win was written across the windowsill and this was in black. And I was like, no, this 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 is, you know, this this is wrong now. So rang the guards again. Again, we're up very, very quickly. Um, took photographs, took another statement and they said, look, we have checked um, the statement that you wrote uh, and that reported. And I, I had all the messages printed off as well the first day that I reported it. Well done. Well done. Good, we, to, good um, to keep all of those. Yeah. yeah. So they had they had all those. They said, look, well, we're after reading over it. And OK, obviously they couldn't say for sure that it was him, but there was nobody else that I'd had a negative interaction with. Um, so really there was kind of nobody else that, that, that it could possibly be, you know. But at the same time, we still weren't sure that it was him. Because again, it was very, very kind of childish behaviour. Yeah. And yeah. That thing, you know, like to drive all the way up in the middle of the night to to so, do that was a bit... You know, childish, childish. You know? Yeah. Uh, but it got a bit sinister with letters that you found. Yeah, the very following morning after the windows were painted, um, I opened the blinds and I saw a, br- a brown envelope under the windscreen wiper of the car. So I put on gloves and I opened it and the first thing that happened was there was two condoms came out of it. Um, and then the, the, the letter was there, but it was, the opening of the letter was, hello neighbour. So Again, that like his intention was for that to throw me, and and it did, I suppose, you know. Um, but like again, it it, it could re- realistically only have been him. But the fact that it did say "hello, neighbour" did catch me off guard. Was it um, handwritten or typed? No, it was typed. Typed, okay. It was typed, yeah, yeah. And that letter was of sexual of a sexual nature. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, okay. yeah. And like the, 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 the bottom line of it was um, looking forward to our moment to you soon or I'll be watching you or something along those lines anyway. Um, so again, the guards came up. They had um, a, like a forensic envelope that I just dropped it in with my gloves. So they didn't handle it. I had had worn gloves. Um, so they, they took that away for like forensic analysis and see was there going to be any DNA on it or anything. Um, and they... From from that point, they they kind of escalated things. There was a, a they um, advised me to get in CCTV cameras, which I did. And there was a guy from the crime prevention came up and he checked out the house. And his only advice, really, he said everything else was was fine and secure. But he said to, to seal up the letterbox in case there was petrol poured into it. So that was that 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 did shake me up, you know. Um, and then and what was life like for you? At that time, were, were you second guessing everything? Were you looking over your shoulder? Were you double checking the doors were locked? Oh, everything, every noise, every like every message alert on my phone, everything, everything made me jump. And it just it just takes over. It takes over your mind. It takes over your thoughts. You, you, you kind of you're, you're trying to carry on. I was working kind of from home at the time. Um, you can't concentrate because every time you hear a noise, you're stopping what you're doing, you're going out, you're looking out windows in the front, you're looking out windows in the back and it just, it, it does take, it takes over everything, you know. 
Um, and it's it's just very, very hard. It's very hard to live with it because, as I said, it, it just completely takes over your mindset, you know. Um, was it after that letter that the Gardaí decided to do the surveillance on your house? Um, that was the first letter. So what they what they decided they would do at that at that stage was um, they would drive through the park like a couple of times a night, just do a drive by. And now they had given me mobile numbers um, so that if like one of them said, "Look, if it's a cat jumping off a bin and you get a fright, like ring me," you know, uh, he said, it, "It we'd rather come up for a false alarm." Then you not ring to say, oh, I can't be ringing up at this hour of the morning and something happening. So I said, anything at all, you know, g- give me a ring and I'll be there. Um, but once the second letter, the, the second letter was another escalation where that, that was the actual threat to, to break in and rape myself and my daughter. Um, that's when they put in the operation then of um, sitting outside the house. Uh, how so long it, did that go on for until they caught him? It was four nights. Okay. Um, no, we we had caught him on CCTV leaving the second letter, so we knew for a fact it was at him. that stage that it was, it was him. him. Okay, and so, then t- talk to me about how the the arrest and and how that night unfolded. Well, they, like they they were outside from midnight until five a.m. every night leading up to his arrest. So, um, no, it was pelting rain the same night. It was absolutely torrential. And I went to bed. No, I went to bed fully dressed that night because I just had a feeling that tonight's going to be the night. And my neighbour was in um, and she said, I don't know, will the bad weather draw him out because he'll think there's nobody around, you know. So we were all kind of, we all kind of were expecting him that night, you know. Um, so it was about two, I, I, I went to bed about 12. I woke at two. I, I just couldn't settle. And then at um, court to I think it was. Um, I, I I heard not a commotion outside. It was, it was very very low key, but I heard voices outside and I heard a clank, you know, like a metal hitting concrete. Mm. So I got up and I went into the room next door because I didn't want to be opening the blinds. And <laughs> you know, here I am drawing attention. So I went into the room next door and we saw him um, being being arrested and the, there was the squad car, and then they came up with the paddy wagon. So I actually saw him being put into that handcuffed. Um, no, I didn't know at this stage what he had on him. I just thought that he had another can of spray paint. And, um, what, and uh, what did he have on him? He had the crowbar, um, he had rope, duct tape. Um, his he, intention was to break in? His intention was to break in and um, carry out his threats, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he admitted so. that? He didn't, I, when they first arrested him, he said, because they were checking my car um, with torches and they were looking into the car and they were checking the wheels. And what's going on with the car? But he had told them that he was um, up here breaking into cars for money. So that that was that was what he said. That was his excuse, we'll say, the first night. Now that he said what his name was and stuff, but that was his excuse. I think it was in the, the, the second interview that he, or, or even the third and I think the second interview, he played it down again saying it was just a prank and he was only messing. But was it, I think it was the third interview where he admitted everything that he he he, he had the duct tape to duct tape my my wrists and put, the, put it over my mouth and he, he had everything thought out. My God, know? my God. And uh, what, when he was in court, did he apologise? Well, we went to, we had to go to Clonmel District Court the day after his arrest because there was the bail hearing and 
he spoke that day and he he did apologise um, from the witness box. He, he just looked down and said, look, I, I want to apologise for my behaviour. This isn't who I am. Um, you know, so I just kind of shook my head because we had made eye contact and I just I just very quietly shook my head as if to say, you know, I'm, I'm not accepting this. You know, because a, a one-off incident, you can kind of apologise for, oh, look, I just slipped out. But, like, this was ongoing and it was very methodical. It was very well thought out and planned. And he had come to my house five times in the space of three weeks. So it, it wasn't a flip out on his part, you know. So I was having, you know, no apology was going to <laughs> wash I know, me, you know. I know. And the effect, Una, that it's had, had on your life. I mean, how are you now? Well, I'm I'm good now because, um, luckily enough, I, I I had the presence of mind to get counselling straight away. Well done. Um, I wasn't going to leave it until eighteen months and then have a nervous breakdown and you know not be able to cope. So I I did get counselling straight away. Went to my GP straight away. Um, was put on medication for anxiety and. I still wasn't feeling great, and in September, I really crashed and burned in September. Um, I was very, very low, so I went back down to the GP, and she put me on. Um, she said, look, we'll, we'll, we'll keep trying different medications until we find the one that suits. And luckily enough, the first one that she put me on, she put me on a second lot of medication, um, and that actually worked really well, and it worked more or less straight away, because, right. you know, these things can take four to six weeks to kick in properly, but really by the next day, I was feeling heaps better and, and I have been fine since you know And when it was all go, going on uh, Una did you fear that he might kill you? I did I actually did um, I thought that once he once he got into the house that it, it would escalate beyond beyond rape I really did um, so I used I used to tidy up the house every night before I went to bed so that you know, for the crime scene photos, that the place will be tidy. Oh uh, you know, and it, it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but you know, the, I didn't want to leave my my. I suppose my legacy of being cheap. She was really untidy. You know, <laughs> the, so, the stupidest things that go through your mind. Yeah, and yeah. did 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 I read somewhere you thought about a tattoo? Yeah, I I was going to get a tattoo because now it. it, no, it, it I didn't know this at the time, but it did come out after that one of his internet searches was for chloroform. Um, so I was going to get a tattoo of my name and honouring uh, y'all and my date of birth so that if he abducted me while I was out and about or whatever, that if they found my body, that they, they'd know straight away who it was without a delay of, you know, DNA or whatever, or, you know. So, that's, that's shocking. It's shocking that you even, that, that thought would even have to go through your head. And your children, Una, how how the, how are the kids? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're fine now, but like it, it did, it, it really took its toll. Um, my son slept by day and he stayed up all night just to, I, he, it, it was kind of, he felt that that's all he could do, you know. So he'd stay up by night just in case anything happened. Um my daughter wanted me to, she wanted to move. Um, she she wanted to sleep with a knife under her pillow and she wanted us all to sleep in the front of the house with doors locked because I have a bay, I have a bay window so there's a little roof outside. So she said, look, if, he, if the door is locked, by the time he gets up to us, we'll hear him and we can go out the, the, the window and onto the, the roof, of the, or, you know, onto like the roof no of the one, window. No one should have to plan an escape route from, from your, no. your home is your sanctuary where you should, where yeah. you should feel safe and, and, and he took that away from you. So, 
do you, do you think you'll you'll all fully recover from this or is it just going to take time? It'll take time, but I believe we will, you know. Um, there is there is an awful lot of help out there. There's, there's more help out there than I would ever have known unless this had happened. Um, there's, there's great services out there that people actually don't know about and thankfully, hopefully, we'll never have to know about, you mm. know. But, but your message today to anyone who is suffering any form of harassment is... Go to the go to the Gardaí because the one thing that's remarkable in the story is the and remarkable is the wrong word but what's really positive mm. in the story is the way that the Gardaí dealt with it. Yeah, they were fab. They, yeah. they were they were just they were brilliant and they were so they were so kind and they were so I suppose human about the whole thing. You know, they didn't kind of come across as you know big tough men or you know that that kind of way. They were all very very kind. They were very gentle, but they were very very professional and. They're they're highly trained now. They're very savvy. They they really know what they're doing, and I suppose forensics has come a long way. And I think more importantly, behavioural analysis has has come a long way. You know, and that's I think that's key in cases like this. Because yeah. And they believed you. Behavior. They and believed they me. Yeah. yeah, from day one. Yeah. And I also thought when I saw you on the steps of the court uh, yesterday on the news, you are, you've asked that his family are remembered because this is it's tough on them what they're going through. I, I do you know what I think it's nearly worse on them because, like yesterday was the end of it for me. Whereas yesterday, no, it wasn't the beginning. The beginning was was in July the night that he was arrested, but. Like they they're going to have to live with this for a very long time. You know, it it it'll follow them. They they're related to him. They you know they can't unrelate themselves from him. You know, mm-hmm. um. No, they can distance themselves if they so wish. But like they they will always be his family. Yeah, yeah. And you know they have done like their world has been turned upside down. And I I I really really feel for them. I really do. I I think that. People just need to be kind to them and, you know, not blame them. They're bla- completely blameless in this. And he, he never cast them a thought through all of this either, you know. Well, that um, shows great compassion uh, from you. You're, you're a mighty woman. You're a strong woman. You will come through this. And so will your uh, children, Una. But once again, I'll finish where I start by saying you are, I'm, you're incredibly brave to share the story. You could have just gone away and said, don't want to talk about this anymore. Uh, but I, I really think it's important that, that your story is heard. Listen, thanks a million. You look thanks after yourself, much. look after your kids. I and stay, stay safe. Stay safe. Thanks God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. What a lovely woman that is. Uh, Una Ring from you all 1850 Marie says I hope this message finds you well that poor woman the hell that she was put through and her family she's a brave brave girl I wish her and her family all the best in the future Court Today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie On Wednesday of course it was announced that Ireland has joined France Germany and Italy in deciding not to make the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, the main COVID vaccine to be given to the over 70s. To explain what this all means, I'm joined by the former Cork Lord Mayor and a GP himself, John Sheehan. Good morning to you, John. Morning, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose it's, it's important, firstly, to point out that there is nothing wrong with the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. Absolutely, yeah. So, so far, we have three vaccines that have been approved the Pfizer, Moderna, and the AstraZeneca vaccine, and they've all been shown to work. Um, and that's an important um, thing to remember because people ask, well, which vaccine should you take? And the honest answer is 
the vaccine that you can get and that's available for you. The reason the change happened um, on Wednesday, Patricia, is that the AstraZeneca vaccine, although it's been shown to work, when they were doing the trial, they didn't have big numbers in the over 70s age group. So just going on the precautionary principle, because the other two vaccines did have good data for the over 70s age group, they decided to go with those two vaccines for that age group. Now, there's nothing to suggest that the AstraZeneca vaccine doesn't work in the over 70s, and it looks like they will get that data over the next couple of months. But that's the reason why they decided to shift uh, that. It's not going to make a massive difference. It will make a difference in terms of the logistics of the rollout of the vaccine because the the Pfizer vaccine, as we know, has to be kept in in very cold storage and liquid nitrogen and the Moderna in the deep freeze. But the vaccine will still roll out and it will just roll out in a slightly different way. And every week over the next few weeks, you're going to hear a slight change um, in this. But the thing is, practices are ready and raring to go to roll out the vaccine. The logistics of that will be overcome and the vaccine will be rolling out over the next few weeks. Okay, but, starting about two weeks but when the data from AstraZeneca comes out and it's expected to come out at the end of uh, March, because remember in the United Kingdom and certainly in America, they've been using the AstraZeneca on the over 65s. Uh, it is possible that we will then revert to using uh, the Oxford vaccine in this country at the end of March, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a very high likelihood in the end of March that we'll be using all three vaccines um, in all age groups. But I think they're just waiting for that data to come out and they're going to work with the other two first. And that will change the priority slightly about how they're doing it. But the big priority really is to try to get the over 70s vaccinated because unfortunately, as we've seen, they're the group of, of all groups that are highest of risk from COVID. And if we can get them vaccinated in as quick a way as possible, they're the group that need to be protected most. Now, I know Paul Reid of the HSC said vaccinations of the over 85s is set to begin the week beginning February 15th. So that's a Monday week. As GPs, are, are you ready to roll? We are really. And like most of our colleagues, we are. We, you know, about twice a week we go on webinars at night about vaccine preparation. And I was on one Wednesday night where two and a half thousand um, GPs uh, were, were being briefed. And one of our local GPs in Newmarket, Dr. Brendan Payne, was one of the presenters on it. And we've all gone through the, you know, the anaphylaxis preparation, what to do if there's a reaction, how to identify all your patients how to do the logistics of it in terms of social distancing, how to do the appointments, what to do for follow-up, all of that. So we're all ready to go. So if the vaccine arrives in our surgery tomorrow, we'll be ready to go and give it out. And that's really what they want us to do. They don't want us to hang on to the second dose. They want to give it as it comes so that as many people get vaccinated as possible. And yesterday, Patricia, there was an, an important milestone, which I think was, is good to acknowledge, there's been more people vaccinated in Ireland yesterday than have had COVID. So Brilliant. I think that's a good news. Brilliant. Story. That's, that yeah. is a really good news story. And at this stage, you and all GP practices, have you identified the order in which you'll give out your vaccine? Have you all, the, like the over 85s are obviously the first group? They, yeah, they certainly have. And they're doing it strictly by age group um, at the moment. So they're doing the over 85s first, then the over 80s, the over 75s and over 70s. So that's how they're doing it. They're doing it on a strict age base. Um, cohort and the logic of that is other people have other conditions but by far the the, the, the biggest risk factor is age for people so they feel if they could get those vaccinated first then start looking at the other groups the higher risk groups people with lung problems heart problems etc but the important one is to get 
from 70 upwards vaccinated. Okay, and the question I think that a lot of people are asking, uh, what, who will now get the AstraZeneca vaccines? I mean, 35,000 doses are due next week and I think there's 400,000 doses due uh, by the end of March. What's to happen to them? What's probably going to happen with them is, and again, we haven't had full confirmation on this. This will change every week. What would happen with them is that they'll be used in the group under 70 for which there is good evidence um, to show that that it works. So the under 70s who have underlying medical conditions such as uh, COPD, chronic obstructive airways disease, heart disease, diabetes, all of those people who are vulnerable, they'll, they'll probably get that vaccine and they'll probably do the Moderna and the Pfizer for the over 70s. And it's important to remember that there's not a good vaccine and a better vaccine they've all been shown to work they've all been shown to be very very good and the AstraZeneca one actually was the first one that had showed data that it reduces transmission as well so it doesn't just protect the person getting the vaccine it's been shown to significantly reduce the person carrying the virus and spreading it um, as well so that's the first vaccine to show that so that's a, that's another good news story yeah and but it, again I can see people saying can can you pick the vaccine that you want to get you want to get you're saying no whatever vaccine is offered to you take they're all good vaccines Absolutely, yeah, and um, I think that's that's an important one. It's not a menu; um, it, it, it purely has to do with availability. They've all been shown to work. The data, as you said, for the AstraZeneca over seventy will probably come out over the next month or two. Um, but they've all been shown to work. They've all been shown to be effective, and that's the biggest message that we can do: get out to people that really, in order to beat this virus, for which we're all completely fed up over. Um, in order to keep people safe, in order to reduce down the risk of people dying and our loved ones getting it, that's, take the vaccine that's available. If you wait and say, oh, I prefer this one or that one, you may not get it. You may not get it for another six months or so because we've seen due to the availability, even healthcare workers who, for whatever reason, if they're isolating or whatever and can't get the Pfizer vaccine when it's coming out and when they're doing the vaccination schedule, they're down another month or so before mm. they can get it again, you know. So my advice is when the vaccine is there, whichever one is there, take it. And don't call your GP. Your GP will call you. We don't want GPs flooded with calls. Listen, Absolutely. John, as always, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for Thanks that. Patricia. Thanks Bye. for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Dr. John Sheehan, who also the former uh, Cork Lord Mayor, Cancer John Sheehan. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Jim by WhatsApp saying, Hi Patricia, I saw an Instagram post from Vicky Phelan this morning to say all is going well with her treatment stateside except for a little bit of nausea. But she was on Instagram to talk about the portrait. Remember that fantastic painting that she spoke about and that she put on display on the Late Late Show just before she went to the States for her treatment? Well, that went up for auction yesterday and it made a whopping €46,500. And the best thing about it, says Jim, a former neighbour of hers from Mooncoin in County Kilkenny who spent a lot of time in her house when they were growing up he bought it and uh, he wanted to he wanted the painting to stay local and to be able to be viewed by the general public uh, says uh, Jim and you know something I came across thank you for that I came across this story early this morning and it was one of those stories that just filled me with a little bit of joy and I just thought great way to start off a Friday with this wonderful happy news story from Vicky Phelan who is constantly I think in our thoughts and in the nation's prayers as she's over in America battling battling to stay alive for her two uh, children. So yes, 
And I knew the painting was going up for auction uh, yesterday. I just didn't know what time it was going up for auction. So I was thrilled this morning uh, when I when I woke uh, to the news. And Jim is right. It was bought by a gentleman by the name of David Brennan. David Brennan has a company in the UK called Southgate Engineering. And seemingly he's landed a lot of prestigious contracts uh, right around uh, England. And uh, Vicky says that when they were growing up together, they were neighbours. They were they both lived in Comoral Drive in the South Kilkenny village of Moon coin and actually Vicky said described him as being more like her brother he spent so much time uh, or they spent so much time in, in each other's houses but she said she was absolutely ecstatic when she realised it was David was after buying the uh, painting now David said after the auction that Vicky's mother and father were very good to me when I was young and she said I burst out crying when I saw Vicky speak about the painting on the Late Late Show and it was my wife that night says David we have to buy Vicky's painting and he said, I have the blessing of having enough money to be able to buy the portrait. Uh, but he said the painting now is owned by the people of Ireland. It's up to Vicky where it goes. Isn't that fantastic? And for those who didn't see it, it was three very large paintings. And it was done by an artist by the name of Vincent Devine. And it's sort of the painting, the three pictures put together and they sort of play out Vicky's uh, life. Uh, as she said herself, her whole life was emptied out onto the canvas, everything from her tumours to her babies, uh, everything after and everything in between. And the very last one is the horse looking back, you know. And it's just, it's stunning. It's an absolute and huge, it's a huge, huge uh, piece. And, you know, whoever was going to buy it, it was up to them where they were going to put it. And, you know, and I I remember watching it saying, oh, I hope it goes somewhere on public display so that people will be able to see it. And that's exactly what David Brennan had, had in mind. He didn't want some someone to buy it. And while it was all, it was for Heroes Aid. So, I mean, it was it was all for charity. It was all for a good cause and all of that. But I suppose he as well didn't want this painting bought and then locked away and, you know, in somebody else's private exhibition, uh, private collection. So, that, you know, that only the person that bought it and their immediate family and friends would be able to, to look at it and to appreciate it so he wanted it to be for everyone so now he says I'm leaving it up to Vicky she can decide what she wants to, to do with it but he said I wanted to keep Vicky's candle lit for decades and for generations to come I want her children and her grandchildren to see the painting I want to keep her memory alive and he said this painting is for everyone it's absolutely fantastic and Jim is right Vicky is doing well uh, with her treatment she said she's feeling okay at the moment there is a little bit of nausea her treatment continues on next Tuesday when she will be given all three doses of the drugs because last week she didn't get all three they were kind of starting her off just to make sure she wouldn't have any side effects to it but she expects to get all three of the the drugs next week and David actually was reading in the papers this morning that uh, David was speaking about Vicky's family and in particular Vicky's parents her mother and father. He said, uh, her mother and father were very good to me when I was a child so I bought this as a thank you to Gabby and uh, John. So, you know, it's a man who has never forgotten where he's come from no matter where he's ended up and he's obviously been very successful over in the UK. It was such a generous, generous thing uh, to do. Well done and uh, good to know that the money's going to such a good cause uh, to uh, Heroes Aid but uh, Vicky Feeden said she was absolutely ecstatic because she was watching it. She was over in Maryland in America so she was watching it online and getting very nervous because seemingly there was a little bit of glitches. The bidding was slow to start then it took off and at an alarming rate and then when the final bid 
Kate came in and she realised that it was David had got, had got it. She described as being ecstatic. It's just a wonderful, as I say, good news story for a Friday and we'll take our good news stories from anywhere that we can get them and once again we wish Vicky Phelan all of the very, very best in her treatment in the States. Ross was listening to our interview with uh, Una talking about the, the awful trauma that she went through being uh, stalked by her former work uh, colleague. I mean, it was just to hear. Do you know what really got to me was her when she said that she actually thought at one stage of putting a tattoo on her body of her name and where she came from and her date of birth in case her body was discovered so people would know straight away that it was hers. Can you imagine even having that mindset that going through your head and for her children to have planned an escape route if he comes in we can get out this window and get onto the bay window and you know the daughter wanting to sleep with a knife under the pillow nobody nobody should have to live like that Uh, Ross says I can empathise fully with Una from y'all, I, a similar experience happened to me and it was by an ex. And I think that's one of the reasons that Una wants her story to be told. Go to the Gardaí. The Gardaí will listen to you and they acted, thank God they acted in exactly the way that they should have acted. They knew as well by what this guy was doing that they knew that it would not that it could escalate, they knew that it would escalate and that's why they were parked outside her house and they didn't, was it five nights they had to wait before they caught him and thank God that they were there. Okay, a number of people commenting about uh, vaccines. Patricia, we're blue in the face from talking about vaccines. Where are they? It's now that we want them. It's a long way to wait until December when you're stuck indoors and in the meantime the country has been brought to its knees with debt. The UK are well ahead of us when it comes to the rollout of vaccines. Maybe it's time for an Irexit. We've been brainwashed into the EU not so long ago. It's not much use to us now, is it, says John. And Liz says, I'm livid. I'm absolutely livid. All of my friends in the United Kingdom have all received their vaccine. And guess what? They all got the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. We're being hoodwinked. Uh, now it's more complicated with having to use the Pfizer and Moderna uh, vaccines. And someone else says, hi, we are like a third world country. Will they not please speed up the jabs? And again, this texter is saying, look at England, over 10 million have been vaccinated so far. We are lagging sadly uh, behind. And I read in today's papers, and this worries me about vaccines, that there could be an urban-rural divide emerging when it comes to the rollout of the vaccines. Elderly people, it seems in rural areas, will likely have to face longer trips to designated centres. Now, they are talking about using parish halls and community halls and GAA pitches to be vaccinated, but they won't be in every rural area. So they might pick one, say, rural area of West Cork and everybody in West Cork area will have to travel there. Same in East Cork, same in uh, North uh, Cork. The plan is for the GPs to dispense to their patients in their surgeries. But they're saying now that that will only be possible in cities and towns where there are large practices with multiple doctors outside of those areas, i.e. the rural areas. Vaccination hubs will need to be set up and patients will have to travel to get their jab. Now, the task force, which is overseeing the rollout, they met again yesterday afternoon to discuss how it will operate. It will be necessary to have space in these vaccination centres. You need to have an observation area. You need to have an admin area. And then, of course, because they're going to have to use the Pfizer and the Moderna, you're going to need proper refrigeration. The decision was made yesterday to make the Pfizer and Moderna 
Moderna vaccines now, the preferential jab for the over 70s, because as we spoke with Dr. John, not enough evidence on the AstraZeneca, even though that evidence is expected to come out at the end of March. And wait, mark my words, by the end of March, Will they'll be making an announcement saying, OK, it's OK now for the Oxford AstraZeneca to be given to the over 70s, even though absolutely nothing will have changed. They'll just have the piece of paper in their hand with with the um, evidence. Paul Reid says the aim is still to get a first dose of Pfizer or Moderna vaccine to near half a million over 70s. Now, they're still hoping that they'll do that by the end of the month, but it is going to be a huge challenge. Why? Because we are dependent on Pfizer and Moderna increasing their weekly delivery of uh, doses. The HSE is getting around 40,000 doses a week from Pfizer. Now the hope is that that will increase. Moderna deliveries, I don't know why, but they seem to be less reliable and they're still only at about 10,000 doses uh, a week. Uh, some deliveries will also have to be held back next week, obviously, and that's to ensure that the second dose is available to residents of long-term care facilities who have already got their first dose. Around 400,000 doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine, they're due to be delivered here before the end of uh, March. They're now expected to be offered to thousands of frontline health workers who are waiting on their first dose. And they'll also they'll start going down the sequencing list so people who wouldn't be available expected to get it so soon I think will be getting it sooner uh, rather than later so while, while it's not the best of news to the over 70s it certainly is good news for people under the age of 70 particularly people with long term health conditions doses are going to be offered to healthcare workers who are not in direct patient contact they are the ones who will get the AstraZeneca however because the HSE is now giving second doses of the Pfizer vaccine to the long term care residents and staff as well as frontline health workers that means there's going to be less of that available to the over 70s when they start as Paul Reid is still adamant the rollout of the over 80s will begin on the 15th of February so I think they'll get probably to the over 80s but it's the over 70s I think are the ones that are going to be uh, waiting they're saying that they're hoping that the first dose will be given to all over 70s they're still saying by the end of March so let's keep our Let's keep our fingers crossed and see will enough doses of the vaccine arrive because I've also read in the Irish Times today that the health authorities here are... Now, we are really good at administering the vaccines. As quickly as they're coming into this country, they are being distributed around the country and they are being stuck, literally stuck into people's arms. And I know people don't like like it when it's put like that, but they are being, being given out. But it disappointed me to read in the papers that the Department of Health does not intend to seek additional supplies from outside of the EU framework. We know that we're in this EU framework at the, at the moment. And the department have confirmed that it's not prevented. I thought that the EU rules were preventing them from seeking supplies from companies outside the EU portfolio, but seemingly it's not. They can do it if they want to, but for whatever reason, they have decided not to. And the EU already has been widely criticised for the speed of the vaccine rollout. When you look at, as some of our listeners are pointing to the United Kingdom, when you look to the US of A and the number of people that they are vaccinating, the EU has been very slow at approving the vaccine. So therefore, we're giving it out at a much slower pace. And only last week, the UK government, who are flying to it at the moment, they said that if they have any 
leftover stock available, they would willingly transfer it to uh, Ireland. Now, there is a legality thing there and I don't know whether Ireland are going to be able to accept vaccines from the UK because according to a European Commission spokesperson, that move could involve shipping unauthorised products in to the EU from outside the EU because of course after Brexit and all of that so I don't I think there's a bit of a, a question mark over that but I'm just a bit disappointed that the Department of Health are not saying okay we know what we're getting from the EU we know it's slow enough coming let's start looking outside of the EU let's start looking outside of the deal that we have with the EU and see if we can buy uh, elsewhere for example some EU countries declined to take up their full allocations of some vaccines the Moderna one uh, in particular because the Moderna is the most expensive of all the vaccines. So some of the countries decided, no, don't want to spend that kind of money. We'll hold off. We won't take everything we're entitled to buy from Moderna. And uh, Germany went in straight away and they bought up some of the surplus supplies. So did France and Denmark. They've been very active in that market, but we haven't here in Ireland. Ministers in Dublin have repeatedly said that the only constraint on the vaccination programme is the pace of supply. Yet there are currently no efforts underway to increase it. They're not going out into the market and saying, you know, let, let's let's see what we can, can get. And the, gov- the, the government continuously are saying we always knew that supplies would be limited in the first quarter of the year and they will increase after April. But I think people desperately want these vaccines now. And I really do think the Department of Health need to look at that again and go to the market and see if there are any additional vaccines that they can buy outside of what's committed from the EU. I definitely think that that's what they should be doing. People want these vaccines and they want it sooner rather than later. 1850 uh, John Paul taking your calls. If you want to text or WhatsApp, you can to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A part-time trainee bicycle mechanic slash sales advisor is wanted. It's for Cycle Scene Bike Shop and that's in Blarney. A bookkeeping position is available in Mallow. Why Alps in Mill Street, they are looking for HR slash health and safety administrator. And a full-time farm labour is required for Fremont, Charleville and Canturk areas. You'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. cmig.ie. Many people get frustrated with our planning laws and families that live in rural areas become very annoyed when a family member is turned down for a planning application to build in an area where they have often lived all of their lives. Limerick County Councillor Eddie Ryan has raised the issue, particularly on behalf of the people in the village of Galbally. And uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Eddie. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're very good morning to all your listeners. Well, thank you. You're raising an issue that affects people in rural areas, not just in County Limerick, not just here in County Cork, but indeed all over the country. Why is it so difficult for people to get permission for a one-off build in their own local community? Well, it, it has always been difficult enough and there's certain criteria, criteria to be met. But there's, a, there's, a, there's, three, diff, there's four, three different areas. There's a regional spatial and economic strategy for eastern Midland and regional assemblies. We have the west and north and we have the southern environs, which is what we deal with here, Cork, Kerry and so on, and Limerick. Now, uh, Minister Owen Murphy on the 31st of January last year signed a document into being the recent document 
This is the regional, spatial and economic strategy. And that then will result in new developments would mean that one-off houses would only be permitted where there is a social need and an economic link to the land and exceptional circumstances. Now, we can't even get a definition of exceptional circumstances. But let's say that one of the family builds on the home farm or a site in the locality. For another member of the family to get a site uh, available to them, they would have to have a link to the business going on in the farm. And it's like if that if it was a daughter of the family that was teaching somewhere local, they wouldn't have an economic link to that because they don't they are not directly linked to the business that's going on in the farm. So it's only the son or daughter who chooses to work the land would exactly. have the economic But that just makes absolutely no sense. But plus the fact then that you look down the road and you look beyond it and say, listen, we have our post offices, garden stations and schools. Down the road, this document that we have been faced with here now, which is directed from Dublin, we're looking at something that's urban, urban-driven, and uh, we're looking at closures of schools, garden stations, all in time. It'll all take time. But like, what we're looking for in Limerick and Cork and Kerry and Waterford are no different. That um, the system we have in place at the minute it's fairly restrictive, but it's 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 quite doable. That um, somebody from the area, we've three categories at the minute. We've strong agricultural base, which is restrictive enough in getting the plan in structurally weak areas, which you don't have need have housing need to build on at the moment, and you have an urban base then, which is separate again. But if you them, they think we can direct everyone into all the small towns and villages and build on the edge of this or build on uh, derelict houses and revitalise villages, which is a great idea and a great plan. But the infrastructure of wastewater is just simply not there. Mm-hmm. We need a billion, we would need 10 billion this country of an investment into with Irish water to bring our wastewater systems up to uh, the standards required. For instance, here in Galbley, it was done in 1963. It's creaking at the seams, it's it's beside the river, and this is just one example. I'm sure in, in other parts of Cork, I could list out loads of, of villages with, loads. with similar problems. And we're heading into a cold snap next week, and I guarantee you the amount of pipes that'll be bursting, and Irish water will be out trying to fix it, and people will yeah, be really? out water for days. It is just crazy. Eddie, do you believe too much of our planning laws are guided by national government, people who really don't understand rural Ireland, and that it, it should be the local authorities who are the ones who are on the ground who know their areas that should be making up these rules and regulations? Well, you see, we've a, new, we've, a new, we've a new person now in place, the planning regulator, and we're never short here of regulations and controls with a staff of 25. Now, it's a new role, it's a new position. That planning regulator, if we bring in a development plan in Limerick, Cork, or wherever, that our development plan has to go before him. If he's not satisfied with it, he'll chuck it out. If we, as members, the 40 elected members of Limerick City and County Council, don't agree to the plan before us, then the chief executive has the option of bringing in the plan or, in this case, the planning regulator. Now, listen, if that's going to be the case, they can do it. But I can can assure you one thing, and I'm not alone. I won't be party to this because I'm just not having it. And I'm chairman of Planning Economic Development in Limerick. We have a lot of work done. We have a lot of work done in SMEs. But we're not going to stand by and allow our rural areas from Galbley to Glen in 
five miles. We have to stand up for the area. We have to stand yeah, up because and, and, and you're right, if we don't build these new houses, I mean, the entire community suffers. I mean, as you've pointed out, there's less children to go to the local school. There's less footfall in the local shop, less people to go into the local post office. There's a huge knock-on effect. And you see, just bear in mind as well, coming from what you just said, you look at it, how many people, young people working in all types of, types of jobs in Limerick, Cork and different places are all working from home. Yeah. What does the future hold for them? They won't have an accommodation in ta- in the towns and cities and they will in the future and there's nothing wrong with it because they're all doing excellent work and working very hard from home. And, and this, the country has been kept going by the people who are working from home. So... Obviously, nurses and all sorts of staff and, and teachers and so on, this is not feasible or practical. But for those that can, it should happen that they will work from home and they'll continue. It's a new way of things now, and I'm afraid we're going to be stuck with this. For at a, least a, listener, a listener, Michael is wondering, could these planning laws, could they not be immediately challenged in the European courts? Well, it's funny, uh, Michael, thank you for the, the message because you hit the nail almost straight on the head because... Um, under the, um, under the freedom of movement of people, and this is one of the challenges that I'm laying down to our planners at the minute, that we, I don't believe we can do legally what we're trying to do, which is control where people live. It's not acceptable. So, and that's a European thing, yeah. and it's been, it's been successful in the European court. So this, uh, the point about that is that why should we stop somebody living in their native Galbally, Ballylanders, Anglesborough or Richardstown, wherever, that, uh, if they want to, and if they meet the planning criteria that's available at the moment. Which is already strict, as you said. Very strict yeah. and strict. And I don't want a free-for-all. I don't want a free-for-all. Another 20 houses. I live in a narrow road. I'm not looking for another 20 houses on my road. But should my daughter decide to return from Dublin to want to build a house and a home place in two years' time, I don't want the minister of the day saying... No, she can't. she can't. No, do she you, can't. Do you deal, Eddie, with many people who are battling planners? Absolutely. And oh, what yeah. has happened at the minute because of... Um, now, I'm, I'm not saying one word to our planners. They do a great job insofar as they open the development plan, they're guided by the criteria that's available to them, and they deliver planning based on that. Their hands are going to be tied when it'll come to this new document where they can't grant a planning permission because that person doesn't have an economic link to that area. That is very unfair. But they may have been born on that road and raised on that road, but they can't build there because of an economic link. That's not feasible or practical. So, so you're, what, you're calling for what, a, a meeting with the housing minister? <clears throat> a meeting from the, with the housing minister and his junior, uh, Peter Bort, on this. We need somebody to listen, and we haven't had one word from any of our County Limerick TDs, I would say County Limerick TDs, I don't know what the, the men in Cork are doing. I don't know what the councillors in Cork are doing. I've heard from nothing. I've contacted Tipperary. We've made tentative uh, contact Cork. But everyone is sitting back and waiting. And this development plan will be involved in February 2022. So time is short. That's not that far away. Act. And we, yeah. we need to unite. Okay. I need to hear from more councillors from Cork anywhere else that are interested in listening that they're going to come on board with Limerick and say no to this document. Okay, listen, it's an issue we'll come back to, uh, Eddie, in the meantime. Thank you for that. A pleasure to talk to you and And thanks for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity to air this.
my Good pleasure. Good morning to you. Good again, morning, Jesus. As I say, it's an issue I know that we often hear from from listeners when they try to build one off houses. As Eddie said, not looking for a free for all, uh, but there has to be some give and take for sure. That is Councillor Eddie Ryan, who is with Limerick City and County Council. 1850 And thank you to somebody who said, Hi, Patricia. Did you see on the internet this morning a nursing home in County Offaly doing a version of the Garda dance, the Jerusalem dance? Uh, they even got residents involved. It was lovely. It made me smile uh, today. I didn't, but I will make a point of tracking it down uh, afterwards. So thank you uh, for sharing that uh, with us. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Just on planning, a listener says, Patricia, all this government wants, this is the national government want for rural Ireland, are big farms, forestry and wind turbines. And to hell with the rest of us. So I was uh, glad to hear uh, Eddie Ryan, that councillor from Limerick, fighting on behalf of people in rural areas. Now, organisers of the Eurovision Song Contest say the event will not go ahead as normal this year, but they have committed to holding an event from May 18th through to May 22nd. Our Eurovision correspondent, Johnny O'Mahony, uh, joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Johnny. Mark, Patricia, how are you? I'm very well. And we all got over the, uh, the huge disappointment when it wasn't held last year. It was dreadful, wasn't it? Yeah, very disappointing for so many people. And um, I mean, I know they had a show on that and it was all done kind of virtually. But um, this year they've guaranteed it will go ahead regardless. Not not the same vein as, as usually, but there will be Eurovision Song Contest and there will be a, a winner and uh, a new host country for next year. OK, now the European, it's the European Broadcasting Union. They're the ones that decide what to do. They're looking at a couple of different options. Yeah, there was, they had A, B, C and D and A is ruled out now, which would have been a, 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 the same as, as every other year, just a kind of a normal, um, everything go according to plan. But uh, because of COVID, obviously, they have to be ready to, um, you know, change as it goes on. And, and it won't be decided until nearer the time, as, as regards, as I say, A, A is ruled out because they won't be able to do everything as, as normal. Um, the, say, the B scenario is that the show will go ahead from Rotterdam, from the arena, with uh, most of the participants in the arena. Uh, there'll be not to 80% audience and uh, there'll be kind of they'll adapt any of the side events that would go ahead with go go on in place in Rotterdam and then a press centre would be some maybe a thousand virtual and five hundred on site. Then the C alternative would be shows from the Ahoy with no performers in the arena. Um limited audience again, reduced events in Rotterdam and completely virtual press centre. And then the D scenario is the would be again very little it would be all virtual. And, uh, you know, where the performers, which is probably the most likely thing, would be all taking part, um, performing from um, the, their respective countries at TV studios. So would they be live? Would they, would they do a live performance or would it be like yeah. a video? Or, or a live be, performance? It, okay. it could be a live on tape, kind of in real time, okay. studio setting for each contestant. Um, it would be done um, with no edits. Uh, there'll be guidelines in place and it'll be unique and unpublished uh, before the, the show. It'll, they will each have, I think, about 60 minutes to do it. They can rehearse it as often as they like, but it would be done with cameras, kind of. Be, it'll be supervised by the EBU. There will be people, on, I think, on site and virtually 
to make sure, you know, that it's all valid as if it was done on the on the night. Which is the fairest. That's the fairest fairest for for everybody. Is your gut instinct telling you that's what will happen? I think that's what's going to happen. I think, you know, I mean, a a lot of the production team that are working are all working from home. They're not even in the studios or in, in the TV studios in Rotterdam. It's all being done virtually at this point as well. So I, I think that's where we're going to be. And I think probably down the line, we've seen maybe uh, going uh, going forward that this is how Eurovision will probably end up in years to come because it is such a big undertaking. But this this seems to me to be the most... Um, it, if, if they plan this now, they know they can it can be guaranteed. Whereas organising everything to go ahead in the arena, which I, I don't think is feasible at this stage with, you know, the way COVID is going. Um, this is the easiest way that if everybody does it from their own base. At least it, we will have a contest and a winner will be yeah. selected. And a winner okay. will be selected. Okay, so it was important this week that um, the EBU came out and said, look, we are going to have uh, an event because that therefore now is putting the ball over to all the countries to say, are you going to take part and just go yeah. select oh, well, yourself? All, all, all that is um, is up and run, well up and running. I mean, Albania, France, and Israel have already chosen. France had a big show last week um, uh, with big. Uh, they had ten big judges. They had um, Marie Marie, who would have been the last person to win for France. Jean Paul Gaultier was the judge. Huh. Duncan Lawrence from um, Netherlands who won in twenty nineteen. Um, and lots of you know big stars in France who were judges on on the show. So they've chosen Sweden to have their show, and you know it's ready to go. It's um, they do a big thing every year with the semi-finals, what have you. Um, there's 15 countries have not decided to bring back who was chosen to represent them last year. Ah. We would be one of them, but the, their representatives would be taking part in the national final again. Norway are doing the same. Lithuania. Other countries haven't announced yet that they're bringing back who, they, who was selected last year or whether they're bringing in new people. So there's big changes across the board, really. But Sweden's show, like they're, they're having a big, um, their, their show, as I said, the Melody Festival, is is a big thing. Krista Bjorkman, who represented them in 1992 and has been involved in Eurovision ever since for Sweden, he's going to present the, the, the semi-finals every week and with big Swedish names every other week. So um, that, that's a big thing. Norway are doing similar things. What so, are we um, doing? Well, we're not doing anything really. We're, we're, we've we've chosen again Leslie Roy, who was chosen last year, and I, I think it's great because um, you know she was she was a good um, choice last year with a good song, and uh, she's coming back. And um, her song has been uh, done. We we haven't heard it yet. I, I think there's plans to uh, announce it in March or to to release it in March. But she has a big team this year in that she's got Swedish producers and songwriters, Lucas Hallgren who um, he came fourth in Eurovision in 2019. But now he wasn't performing for Switzerland. He wrote the song for Switzerland and came fourth. And it was, it was a, big, a very popular song at the time. So there's there's uh, him, Philip Strand, who's from a rock band, Deep End, Emily Erickson. They, these are all uh, uh, involved with Leslie Roy for the... In writing, in writing the song. Yeah. So we can expect a big, a big and, pop song? Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, she, she claims it's as good as last year. Now, the, this is Pop Baby, the theatre group that were you going to uh, do the stage production last time. I don't know if they're involved again this year, um, so we have to wait and see about Okay, but, but no country can use the song that they selected last year? No, 
they're mm. all gone by the yeah yeah so that, it's just disappointing for some and it's, it's an opportunity for others to say right we're lucky we won the gospel so uh, you know it's giving you know giving um, an opportunity to perform something different if you not present something better I, I suppose really. And when I said at the outset that they're committed to holding an event from the 18th through to the 22nd, am I assuming it's going to be two semi-finals and then you've got to qualify to get through to the final? Yeah, exactly the same. Ireland is in the first semi-final and it's going to be... And then I presume if the, the song is performed uh, from, say, if it's done from Dublin, uh, that will be used for the semi-final and if they qualify then that'll be the same. Yeah, uh, yeah, they just yeah, they do, they do it the ones... What they're going to do in the event of... Um, a song, you know, when somebody wins as regards presenting the the winner with if they're not going to be in Rotterdam or whatever. I don't know what the plans are for that, but that's something that that's probably not a big deal. Nobody cares whether they're where they're going to be presented just to get the prize. I suppose to get the win would be a big thing, but that's that's somebody else's problem and, and across that they'll uh, a bridge that they'll cross when they get there. Okay, and to us from watching it from home, it probably won't look that much different. I don't think it'll look much different. No, the only difference I think really is that there won't be uh, a live audience. Yeah, and they're so, great. Yeah, the audience yeah, shots. And yeah, and it, it, it does, and it, it creates. I, I think for the performers, it gives them a different um, aspect or a different, um, you know, perception of the whole thing. And their their performance is obviously different. I like the um, the the recording in studio will, will be a good one, I'm sure, and everybody will give their best. But, you know, I think there's nothing like a live audience mm. even to be part of the audience. I mean, I'll never know because I never performed, but from, from, from that, the atmosphere is always great. And uh, that's going to be something different. But again, that's just the, the times we live in. Yeah, and, that's uh, it. That's you know, it. That's it's, it. It's, it's taking part is, is the, the big thing. OK, well, we'll talk uh, closer to the time. And actually, just talking of uh, COVID, uh, you, of course, work in the Rotunda Hospital in Dublin. You've had your vaccines. I had my vaccine. I had my second one on Wednesday of last week, yeah. And, Is it a uh, great sense of relief? Very much so, yeah. It's it's great. Um, you know, there was, you know, people are saying, are you going to get it? Some people have, but most people have, and some people are not, for, you know, for their own reasons. But it, it's really for me because, um, you know, where, you know, you don't know where you're going to be or where, when you're going to come into contact with it. So um, it's just, it, it's a matter of, um, you know, it's lucky, in a very lucky position to be able to have got it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and any know, side effects? Did you have a sore no, arm? No, just tender arm. It's it sore for a day or two, and but nothing nothing out of the ordinary. I, after the first one, I had no problems whatsoever. The second one, I was really tired the next day. And for a couple of days, but one good night's sleep and I'm over it. And uh, well that, that seems to be like that for different people. It was just the tiredness, whether that is, you know, just whether, whether that's real or not. But um, nothing, nothing. No, nothing and you managed to escape getting COVID? No, well, I had it. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did in the early days. It, it went it a week after the, the first, um, went, I think around mid-March, I got it, yeah. So um, I, I recovered, thankfully. But it, it was tough at the time because it was all um, early. Le- we were kind of learning as we were going along. Like the, the, the taste and smell was the first thing for me that, um, you know, nobody knew about that. And I, I, I suffered that. And, uh, but it got through it. And, uh, you know, that the virus didn't kill me, so I didn't think the vaccine was gone. <laughs> and is your smell and taste back? That came back, thankfully, yeah. Because yeah, you, yeah. you are obviously hearing of people that are left permanently with no smell and taste. Yeah, and that's, yeah, and that's you know, hopefully for everybody it comes back. But uh, that, that was a fear for me because, um, you know, obviously 
you know, it's a, it's a sense that, you know, we all <laughs> survive on in lots of yeah, ways. But yeah. uh, thankfully it did. And, and at the time, as I say, when, when I mentioned it to occupational husband, they used to ring us on a daily basis. And I mentioned that, and said, you know, you're the second person to say that. So that was a relief in one sense because I thought, you know, is this just me or is it, you know, what's wrong here? Is it something? And as the days of when we were in the very early stages of, you know, you know, the, it was before the lockdown and it was, you know, it was just, it was, there was, there was a certain element of, of fear, you know, kind of what, where is this going to go? Or are we over? Is it, is it going to go further? Or, you know, so um, gradually then, you know, I'm luckily working in the health service. I was lucky to have that support. You know, good, that, uh, good. You know. Good to know you've been vaccinated now. So you can, you can now continue to stay safe, Johnny. We'll speak thank again you. closer to the time. In the meantime, thank you for that. And thanks, thanks for joining us. Good morning okay. to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Johnny O'Mahony, our Eurovision Song Contest. Eurovision going ahead. Not quite as uh, we normally have it, but they are holding a contest this year. And Jim made me smile talking about the weekend. Said, ah, Patricia, this virus has really got us all gone daft. Got up as usual. Thought I'd do my few chores first because I needed to go shopping for the weekend as I was cleaning out the stove. Esther, the missus, put the radio on and you were talking. And I said, God, Patricia's never on on a Saturday. When lovely wife Esther says today is Friday, Jim. Oh God, I thought it was Saturday. And in my mind, I had all the shopping to do for the weekend. Uh, maybe instead, I may be confused. No, don't worry about it, Jim. And it's one of the reasons every day I start the programme with saying the day of the week. Because so many people get confused. One day seems to roll into the next. Jim, do you want to take part in our competition? Uh, thanks for your text, Jim. Uh, do you want to take part in our competition? If so, I need you to text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. One listener will join me on air in the next hour to play a round of Ken's Pure Cork Quiz. Three Cork questions in 20 seconds and I can tell you, you were making it a bit easy for you. We want to give money away on a Friday. We are asking repeat questions today. All of today's questions have been asked at some stage this week so you have a real chance of winning. Get texting 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, CMIG You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A couple of issues and topics being raised by some of the listeners. Let me get to some of your thoughts coming in. Eddie has raised an interesting one, I think, about our accident and emergency department. Eddie's been thinking of late that before the pandemic, we were constantly hearing about how many people were on trolleys, be it at Cork University Hospital or indeed any of the hospitals around the country you know the trolley watch that the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation do he said we don't hear any of that at the moment because obviously people are avoiding A and uh, E completely uh, Eddie says uh, the question though has to be asked how many people end up in A and E that don't really need to be in A and E at all and he has a suggestion that when we come out of this pandemic and life returns to normal he's fearful that we'll go back to the situation where people will just start using A and E and they shouldn't actually be there he says instead of a trolley watch or if you going to do a trolley watch give a breakdown of why people are in and why people ended up in A&E you know if there was you know if they came out and said there was 200 people on trolleys uh, yesterday or as of 9 o'clock this morning you do a breakdown and say 40 of them were in with suspected heart attack 10 of them were in because they were involved in a road traffic accident 30 of them were there because of drink related issues so many were there because of drugs so many were there because they uh, it was a fight or something and to, to give a breakdown that way he said then he said for once and for all we see exactly why people end up on a trolley in A and E now I'm sure 
great suggestion Eddie but I'm sure they'll come out and say with GDPR and all of that that they wouldn't be able to uh, do it but it's, it's been widely accepted there are, that there are people now I don't know what is the percentage but there are people who do end up in A&E that really don't need to be there and they're certainly not going there at the moment because of uh, COVID. And Mary was a bit disappointed last night on the TV watching the Junk Couture. You know that great programme? Now, I have to put my hand up here and say I didn't see it. I did see some of the winners on the papers today and some of the outfits that were made just certainly when they were being photographed looked incredible. They really did look incredible. And this is where young people think it's a transition your students do it where they use recycled items and they make clothes uh, out of it and they have this little bit of a fashion show. And I know the Junk Couture this year, they can't have the normal fashion show they have. They had to do a virtual event and it was on the TV. The finals were on the TV last night. Anyway, Mary said she was really looking forward to watching it, sat down to watch it, but she was a bit disappointed because they didn't stop dancing long enough for Mary to be able to get a really close look at the outfit to see what they were made made of. And she's big into recycling material. So she would really wanted to see exactly what the outfits were made of. She could see some of it was fabric, which said other items were exactly as it says in the tin. They were uh, recycled items that normally would end up in the bin or in the junk. That's why it's called junk couture. And she said it was a pity that they didn't talk more about recycled waste that was used. She's wondering, did others find the same that they just all moved too quickly and they were dancing and you couldn't get a really close up to see what they were made of. As the same area there were a lot of photographs in the papers today if that's of any use to you you might be able to yeah, home in on it a little bit more carefully by looking at a photograph to try to work out. Even though looking at the photograph, none of it looked like junk, I have to say. 1850 and Finbar has contacted us to say Patricia, would you please ask people using Barnavara Hill in Glanmire to please, please slow down coming down the hill into Glanmire Village. Many people walk and jog this hill and cars are simply going too fast. It's really, really important to the locals, people that live in the area as we really don't want an accident to happen and that's from uh, Finbar who's a local resident uh, uh, in Glanmire Village. So if you're driving down Barnavara Hill into Glanmire, please folks, the drivers, be aware that you don't know when you're going to come across people out walking or jogging and then I suppose that could be said of all areas as well there's so many people and it's terrific I know certainly when I'm coming to work in the morning the amount of people that I see out either having a daily walk taking the dog out for a walk or the amount of people out jogging it's, it's fantastic people are trying to do their bit for your mental health it's good to try to get out and exercise but of course we all know you need to exercise within your five kilometres and I'm sure that's what people are doing so please be careful folks when you're out and about driving just be aware that there are a lot more pedestrians a lot more joggers and walkers out than we would normally have because of the pandemic. Okay, then on other topics that we were talking about today, we had Councillor Eddie Rynan, who is from Limerick City and County Council, and he was just talking about planning laws and new rules that are coming in that really need to be looked at because it's going to mean it's going to make it it's hard enough now to build a one-off house, but to build on land that perhaps was in your family and has been associated with your family for many years, it's already difficult but when these new rules come in and new laws come in, Eddie said it's going to just completely make it impossible for anybody uh, to build on family land. Uh, Marie says, Eddie Ryan, Councillor Eddie Ryan on your programme this morning raised very important points. The services of new housing developments besides 
beside villages on the outskirts of villages and small towns that Eddie spoke about simply doesn't exist because the services are not there. The land is owned by private individuals. Houses don't come up for sale either. A blanket ban on one-off houses is premature until all of this is addressed says uh, Marie and I think Eddie Ryan would agree with you 100%. Thank you for that Marie. We've been speaking about vaccines. Pat is suggesting that the blood banks, you know when the blood banks the Irish Blood Transfusion Service when they go around the county in the country they use very large halls and they're usually big airy buildings why could they not be used for COVID vaccination centres well as far as I know the HSE is looking at all options at the moment and actually many of the halls that they use Pat I think are exactly what the HSE are looking at at the moment because they've said they're looking at GAA halls they're looking at community halls they're looking at parish halls, church halls, and they're all of the halls that traditionally are used by the Irish Transfusion Service Board. So I think they're ahead on that one, uh, Pat. And then Mary on vaccination says, Patricia, I assume that the over 70s details will be extracted from some kind of a database. The reason I'm querying it is as somebody who will reach the age of 70 during the last week in February, may I get in early with birthday greetings to you, Mary? I'm just a bit fearful that I may not get identified if a query is run from the database, say this week, ahead of me reaching the age of 70 at the end of the month. Uh, and therefore, I won't be I'm not registered at the moment as over 70. And I'm fearful I'd miss out on the vaccination grouping. Uh, could this be clar- clarified, please? Um, from what I can gather, Mary, it's GPs that they're going to. So obviously on the GP has your date of birth. The GP will know that you are reaching 70 the last week in February. And so I don't think you've got anything to worry about. And another reason I don't think you've anything to worry about on the 14th of, or not the 14th, the 15th of February, the Monday week, is when they're starting the rollout of the vaccinations. They're going to start with the over 85s first. So it will be well into March before the over 70s are called in. And at that stage, you will have hit your 70th birthday. But it's your GP practice who will be inviting you in and who will be doing the databases and the, the doctor's practices already. I think they all have already have their lists up and they've backup lists uh, because they were hoping that the AstraZeneca was going to be arriving to them on the 15th of February and they were just going to be calling everybody in. So they, they're already working on the lists. So I'm sure your GP has already got you well identified so you won't miss out. Hang in there and hopefully you will get one of those vaccines uh, sooner rather than later. And R by text says, Patricia, I was listening to to the doctor who was on earlier with you that was Dr John Sheehan who was talking about people wanting to choose what vaccination that they want can't people just be happy that we have a vaccine I really don't understand how anyone would be going along the line oh I don't want that vaccine but I would prefer that one it's not like going into a shop and choosing a pair of shoes or choosing a pair of pants just be grateful that we're getting something I would have anything that I may be offered. Thanking you, says R. And I think a lot of people will agree with you on that. And just and it's one of the reasons that we brought on uh, Dr. John Sheen and it was reason for my very first question to him. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. If anything, it's probably coming out as at top of its class for what it for, for what it actually does, particularly in the fact now that it's the first vaccine to come out that they know when you if you get one of these vaccines that you can't pass COVID on to somebody else. We're still waiting for that kind of data to come out about the other two, the Pfizer and the Moderna. So it is a gold star, it is a gold class uh, vaccine. It's just there isn't enough data yet and and I emphasize yet 
because so many people in England and so many people in the United States have been given the AstraZeneca and it is proving to be very efficient. We just... They, the European Medicines Board and the Irish Medicines Board just want the actual data in uh, front of them. Uh, but thank you for your text, Patricia, by WhatsApp. People in the over 70s group, I would be, I'm somebody who's in the over 70s group, I would be delighted if the 18 and upward age group were vaccinated earlier than planned. I've had an amazing life and it's a small price to pay to isolate for a few more months. I would love my children and my grandchildren to experience the same kind of life as I did. If all of the younger working generation could be protected first, we may be able to start opening up the economy sooner. Isn't that fabulous? That's a gorgeous, gorgeous sentiment and it's not the way it's going to happen but uh, it's, a, it's a lovely, lovely thought and you will be in the formula one of the first groups uh, to get it but, but well done for, for thinking of others. The only thing is the fact that they've made this decision not to give the AstraZeneca to the over 70s. People under the age of 70 now suddenly will be moved up along the list, the sequencing that's there. So others who would have been waiting longer to get a vaccine will now suddenly find themselves as early as next week because I think the first of the AstraZeneca is to arrive into this country uh, next week. Stay safe. Stay safe. Hi Patricia, says a Killarney listener. I'm listening to the promised rollout of the vaccine since Christmas Eve and guess what? Nothing happens. All I'm hearing about is the huge number of unfortunate people that are dying from this disease daily. A disease which is preventable now if the vaccine was rolled out widely. England have passed the milestone of 10 million vaccinations this week including almost 90% of those aged 75 and over when or oh when are we going to uh, get ours and that's from a uh, Killarney uh, listener and then someone else is saying do you have the right to refuse a vaccine this texter says a young girl with MS was told if you don't get the vaccine then the infusions for the MS would stop this seems very strange to me I would 100% query who she heard that from, where she heard heard that from and is that somebody passing it on? I would absolutely question that. Nobody can be forced to get a vaccine and I say to anyone who's nervous about getting a vaccine, do your research. Don't be relying on fake news. Don't be relying on something that you read on Facebook. Go to recognised sites. Look up the information get all of the information because all the information is out there particularly to allay people's uh, fears. There's so much false information particularly by the anti-vaxxers that are out there. So you just do your own thing. Do your own uh, research and find out about it. I 100% uh, will stand up and say that I'm um, uh, I, I'm 100% getting the vaccine. I've looked into it. I'm getting the vaccine. I'm giving the vaccine to my daughter Marsha. All of my family members, I don't know anyone within my family, bar one kind of outside of the family is kind of thinking about not getting it. And we're all working on that person to say think long and think hard. But it is an individual choice. Nobody can be forced uh, uh, to do it. And I certainly would query uh, any body telling somebody that if you don't get it this is going this is going to happen unless there's a medical reason why they're saying that that person needs to get it in order for for her uh, infusions to continue so I certainly would be going back to the source and getting that uh, checked out and hi Patricia this is from Tom who wants to give a big round of applause to Una Ring who joined us at the start of the programme uh, today who spoke about the harassment that she had experienced by her former work colleague and Tom says can I give that 
lady Una a big round of uh, applause what an ordeal and what a sad uh, man and wasn't wasn't her generosity in now while she'll find she will one day hopefully be able to forgive him but for now she certainly can't forgive him as she tries to get her life back on track and the life of her children back on track but I thought to hear her say and talk about his family and how they are sort of innocent victims in all of this and for people to be kind to his family. I thought that just showed what a remarkable woman uh, Una Ring is for everything that she has been through. Like she walked out of that courthouse yesterday and while she was talking about what she'd been through it was one of the messages that she wanted to get across to people to please remember his family as well that they have done nothing wrong. I thought that was incredible. I really thought that. What a great, great woman. Uh, and we wish her nothing, nothing but love and luck uh, going forward. 1850 333 103. Lines open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Program. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie. Coke Foundation are looking for people to participate in their 300,000 Steps Challenge during the month of Feb- February. You register online at cope-foundation.ie forward slash February Challenge. It's to help raise funds for projects and programmes that empower and support people with an intellectual disability and autism right across Cork City and County. And the priests of Mallow Parish are continuing to invite people to participate in a holy hour of guided prayer with adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. It's every evening from St Mary's Church at half past seven and it can be just it doesn't go away. It's every evening except Saturday and you can log on by going to the parish website www.malloparish.ie Court today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group Want great advice? You know who to talk to cmig.ie to celebrate our brand new breakfast show, we're giving away thousands of euro on C103. Whatever it and we have 103 euro to try to give away now on Ken's Pure Cork Quiz. Where am I going? I'm going to Fremont Village where Caroline Healy joins me. Good afternoon, Caroline. Good afternoon, Chris. And how is everybody in Fremont Village today? Good, thank you. Is the sun shining? At the moment. Yeah, it's, it's kind of nice. It's a bit chilly, but a uh, bit of rain forecast as well. But it's, uh, it's dry at the moment, which we'll take that. OK, have you been listening to the competition all week? I have. Now, how have you done when you've been listening to previous contestants on air? 50-50. OK, I can now tell you, you've got even a better chance of winning today because all of the questions I'm about to ask you were asked at some stage during the week. Okay. Now, not necessarily with me. Could have been with Ken. It could have been with Nick. It could have been Martina. But every single one of these questions was asked. No bother. That might just help you a little bit. Shout out the answers as quickly as possible. It's only 20 seconds, so there's no passing. You've just got to get in there. So are you ready to go? Yep. Okay. Let me start the clock. Are you ready for it? Three, two, one. The clock's ticking. What year did Cork Airport open? 1961, 1971. 71. What Cork town is Graham Norton from? Brandon. What the Queen visited the English market 2001 2011. 2011. <sighs> okay. You got two and you were well in the time. You were well in the time. You got two out of 3. You got the Queen visited the English market. That was in 2011. You were right on that. Graham Norton is from Bandon. Would you believe Cork Airport opened in 1961? 
No bother. Ah, you're up at 10 years. Listen, you can try again, okay? All right. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye bye. That is Caroline Healy from uh, Fremount Village. We're going to play another round of Ken's Pure Cork quiz with Nick this afternoon. And again, I'm looking at Nick's questions because they're actually in front of me. They're all very doable. And every single one of Nick's questions was asked at some stage during this week. So you would have heard the question. But did you hear the answer is the all important one. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, Nick will again uh, invite you to text or WhatsApp him this afternoon and then he will select one of the listeners to come on air. Play Ken's Pure Cork Quiz. Answer the three questions in 20 seconds and you have a win of €103. And you can listen on your phone, your smart speaker or your radio to win on C103. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie This is the Court Today replay on C103. And John Paul joins me as he does every Friday to take a look at the local electoral areas and the figures and how many COVID positive cases were announced in the previous two weeks. So we are looking at the two weeks from the 19th of February through to 19th of January through to the 1st of February. Good afternoon to you, John Paul. Good afternoon. And as we predicted last week, we knew that there was going to be a fall. There was a fall last week, but we knew that there would be a further fall this week. And that has come to pass. It has. Yeah, there has been been a reduction in the majority of areas across the county and indeed across the city as well. Some county areas still remain higher than those in the city uh, but let's start and look at how things have gone in the last week or so. Let's start in Bantry, in the Bantry electoral area. Here it takes in Drummond League, Castletown Bear and the Mizzen and Bear Peninsulas and last week there was 134 cases here. This week that is reduced to 101 cases. And to Skibbereen, 
where you're looking at towns like Dunmanway, uh, Ross Carberry, Banleen and the Clonakilty areas included within Skibbereen. Last week 189 cases. This week uh, that is down to 99 confirmed cases. And to the Bandon and Kinsale electoral area where you're looking at uh, villages like Timaleague, Kilbrishan, also parts of Crossbury, Inishannon and parts of Town as well as far as Balgooley. Uh, last week there was 314 cases here this week 238 confirmed cases in this area Sale, which is still high, still high yeah it's yeah. still one of the highest areas not only in the county but also when you take in the city is one of the highest across both uh, city and county and moving to Carrigaline, and here you're looking at Crosshaven, Myrtleville, uh, taking in Ballygarvan and Ringaskiddy. Last week, 188 confirmed cases here. This week, it's 94 confirmed cases. And from Carrigaline into the city and the southwest uh, wards, where last week there was 329 confirmed cases, that has reduced to 152 cases. And in the southwest area of the city, you're looking at Ballincollig, Wilton. Curryheen and some areas of Toker included there and to the south central area of Cork City uh, here you were in the Kinsale Road area College Road and those areas and Turner's Cross last week 276 uh, cases this week that has reduced to 126 and to the southeast where in Douglas Mahan Rochestown Black Rock area last week 353 cases and this week that has reduced to 159 and crossing the river to Glanmire uh, to Mayfield Tivoli and Mont- in the northeast of Cork City again last week 365 cases here a reduction this week to 193 confirmed cases and to the northwest of the city in Blarney, Nocknahini, Holly Hill and the Sundays Well area last week there was 379 confirmed cases that has reduced this week to 164 so overall a big reduction and across I mean, the city. Some of those city wards have over halved the number. They I mean, have? That's, that's yeah. an incredible uh, drop. And a high population and dense yeah. population as well where everybody is living in one area. So uh, if you look at that compared to county areas, the city has reduced the numbers. Oh, they're, they're, big really, time. they're really stopping the spread. Okay, back out to the county. And we'll go to the McCroom local electoral area where this is taken in Arhala, Cladov, obviously McCroom itself, Coachford, Mill Street Town, Crookstown, Kilmurray, and you're in Balangiri, Intrigid, and the Kule areas here last week. Uh, this was 178 confirmed cases in this area, a reduction to 88 cases this week in the McCroom local electoral area. And then to Canturk, where you're taking in the towns of Charnival. Also here we have Newmarket, Bally Desmond, Tully Lease, Milford, Kilcorny, all those areas included. Last week, 152 confirmed cases. That has reduced to 116 this week. And to the Mallow local electoral area, including Bottevent, Lumberstown, Ballyclaw, Glantan, Drumahan, Grenan, New Two Pot House, all those areas, such as Churchtown as well, and Carl included here. Last week, 190 confirmed cases. And this week, there's 114 confirmed cases for the Mallow area. And then to the Fermoy local electoral area, 
another reduction here this week uh, we were looking here at the Shambhali Moor areas Glanworth Rathcormack Kilworth uh, Donnerill Mitchellstown and Castle Lyons last week 216 confirmed cases this week that has reduced to 157 confirmed cases and from the Fermoy area to Cove uh, which spans from Cargnevar to Carrick Tool taken in Watergrassil and Nakraha as well uh, there was 168 confirmed cases here last week that now has reduced to 77 cases and in Middleton where you're taking in the town of Yall as well also Shanagarry, Ballycotton, Ladies Bridge Ballymacoda and Dungourney last week 263 cases this week that has reduced to 195 confirmed cases there. Okay so we're seeing falls right across the city and uh, county so Bandon actually the highest, the Bandon Sale electoral area at 238 has the highest but it's still, let's look at the positive, it's still a drop on it what it was the uh, previous uh, week and remember it's two week rolling figures is what we're giving you it's the 19th of January uh, through to the 1st of February so it won't include anything from Monday of this week so please God the figures when you join us next week will be even lower again because, should be, yeah. because they've because numbers are they've slowly plateaued dropping. a little bit but uh, they should be if, if not lower then similar they're certainly not going to go any mm-hmm. higher which is fantastic thank you for that uh, John Paul and uh, John Paul will be back looking at those figures again for us uh, next week. Now, while I am uh, waiting for uh, Mark Malone to join us to talk about the movies, just some of your uh, calls uh, coming in. The woman is right. Oh, this is on the listener who sent us in a text saying is in is over 70, uh, but would prefer to see the younger generation getting the vaccine. That woman is right uh, to say that workers should get vaccinated first, particularly give them the AstraZeneca because the AstraZeneca now shows that transmission is slowed by anyone who receives the AstraZeneca. So if workers got that, they wouldn't be able to take it home. And if there was older people at home, they wouldn't be there to pass it on to them. Young people in places like factories, etc., are largely forgotten about about, but they're keeping the economy going. There are great risks to themselves working in very close quarters and it can be thankless at, at times. The government never seemed to think about them. They seem to be last in line for uh, protection. But you're cooking your own goose here. This is a message to the government. They hold the votes for the next uh, election. And Catherine says, Patricia, how can you, can you find out if you are allergic to penicillin? Can you still get the COVID vaccine? Nobody seems to know. Uh, thank you, says Catherine. I know there was question marks with the Pfizer vaccine vaccine for anyone who had an epi uh, pen and they've even worked around that I don't think the same the same worries are there with the Moderna won't be there with the AstraZeneca for any query like that Catherine just speak to your GP they won't give you a vaccine uh, unless they're absolutely sure that it's safe to, to use for you so check that out with your uh, do- with your doctor and someone else Meg says now that all the uh, over 70s are told that they shouldn't be travelling and suddenly we're being told that if they want to go get a vaccine they're going to have to uh, travel and certainly that urban-rural divide that we're talking about or what's looking like. But listen, the powers that be, they're working on vaccination centres. Maybe, please God, they will put they will put out more vaccination centres so people won't have to travel as far. Mark Malone is our movie reviewer and he joins me. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you watched two movies for us this week. One is The Dig and the other is The Doorman. And we have a quick little trailer from The Dig. Where am I going? Right. Things like this are usually done through museums. Yes, but with the war coming, they couldn't embark upon any new ventures. Well, I've been on digs since I was old enough to hold a trowel. My father taught me. 
What are they? We're standing in someone's graveyard, I reckon. Viking? Oh, maybe older. Mr. Brown is an archaeologist. Well, I'm an excavator. You've come to dig up the mounds. So you think there's something beneath? Who are those men? They're from the museum. Ye gods! Mrs. Pretty, I think you'd better come and see. A man could dig the earth his whole life through. Not find anything like I've discovered here. Spirit steady, Mr. Brown. We're coming towards the edge of the atmosphere. You say the word, and I'll dig. I have to say, I love the accents here. OK, uh, this is a historical drama, obviously. Is, is this based on a true story? It is based on a true yeah. story. Yeah. In fact, a, a very, very famous uh, story, if, uh, if you're into archaeology at all, uh, which me and my wife are. So we were looking forward to it because, you know, down through the years, we were always there on a Sunday evening at 6 o'clock waiting for Time Team uh, <laughs> to come on the telly. So we were really looking forward to it. And I'm glad to say that it, uh, it didn't uh, disappoint. It is a very, very beautiful film and uh, has received a great deal of praise, and uh, quite rightly so too. Not that it's perfect in any way, shape or form. There were a couple of things that kind of annoyed me, but uh, most of the film is just so beautiful with terrific performances, which is really what you want. It kind of uh, reimagines the events back in the the late 30s and uh, a dig on the farm of Kerry Mulligan, who plays the character here of Edith Prizzy, uh, who is um, of ailing health. She, Her GP thinks it's just heartburn, but in fact, when she goes to... um, um, a um, goes to London to see a specialist. It turns out to be a little bit more serious than that. So before her health begins to ail, she wants these four mounds that are on her land uh, to be dug up and excavated. And so she enlists the help of Ray Fiennes, who plays the character here of Basil Brown, who is very, very kind of shy, kind of humble man. As you heard there in the trailer, somebody refers to him as uh, an archaeologist. He says, no, I'm not an archaeologist. But I'm, I'm an excavator. That's all I am. But I'm very, very good at what I do. And he was completely self-taught. And amongst people of, you know, that ilk of that generation, he was well regarded. Um, But subsequently what what happened was that um, he was kind of left out of the kind of history of this incredible find. But that has changed over the last few years. And certainly this film, I think, will change it as well. And now the the, the name of Basil Brown is really, really quite well known. It was all all the actual trained archaeologists from the museum. They wanted their names attached to it, was it? Yeah, because halfway through the film, Ken Stott arrives. Now, Ken Stott uh, kind of uh, comes from the local museum, and, of course, they then kind of took over the site. And they then, of course, uh, wanted the uh, the applause, and they always wanted the, the kind of renown for, 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 for finding this site. But actually, it's a combination of Carrie Mulligan's character and Ray Fine's character, who actually find the site, and he digs the, the, the site, which initially they think is there's nothing in the mound, but actually what they actually find out, that it, it, it has this medieval ship. And underneath the ship were a number of objects, which are now actually in the British Museum, and uh, you can actually see them. And it was an extraordinary find and has now become one of you know the great finds of archaeology. Uh, the film is very, very beautiful. It's a bit slow moving. You know, I want to make that quite clear. If the Fast and Furious movies are your favourite kind of movies, this might not be for you. But it's beautifully imagined, beautifully kind of performed. And, you know, the, the, the scenery is part of the film. It's one of the cast of, of the film. And you know, they filmed it around Surrey. There's a beautiful kind of scene in a place called Godalming, where I was a few years ago, which is one of the most beautiful uh, villages I've ever seen. So it's exciting to see that as well. It's beautiful to look at. There are problems with it. And I think that uh, there are sequences where, 
the director had decided to use this weird technique of over, overlapping audio from different scenes, which really annoyed my wife, I know, and it kind of annoyed me too. And there are also there are scenes with handheld cameras, uh, mainly in close-up, but the camera never stops. And you get kind of, it's a bit kind of sickly watching it as yeah. well. The other thing is that even though it's based on a true story, they, for some reason, obviously trying to attract a younger audience, kind of sexed it up a little bit, bringing in characters, younger characters that didn't exist. For example, they bring in a character, a man who's on his way to the war, he's a pilot, and he photographs the site. Whereas in reality, it was two women who photographed the site. Ah. I'd like to have known about those women at a time in the late 30s when, of course, this kind of thing possibly, uh, you know, wouldn't have been acceptable. Because it would have been, been, it was 1938, so it's just before the start of the Second World War. Exactly, yeah. And so, you know, I'd like to have known about those women. Uh, But the first half of the film, I think, is the best part of the film because this kind of, um, this lovely relationship, this platonic relationship between Ray Fiennes and and Carrie Mulligan is explored. And it's really, really great to watch. It's great to watch these two actors on on screen. As I said, they then kind of spoil it half through uh, with bringing in younger characters, which was completely unnecessary. You know, so I would like to have had more Ray Fiennes and Carrie Mulligan and more on those two women who actually photographed the site as well. I think those characters would have been better than some of the characters who didn't exist. And it's a shame, I think, that the, uh, they had to do that. Subsequently, the film also has received some, some criticism because people feel that Carrie Mulligan is too young because the character of Edith Pretty was actually in her 50s and Carrie Mulligan is in her, her, her 30s. And I think, you know, there are plenty of actresses out there in their 50s. Who could have done it, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it may have been better, and it would have been nicer, I think, to, to catch somebody closer to Edith Pretty's age. But that's not to undermine Carrie Mulligan's performance. But She's did they age her brilliant. up for the part? She, yes, but at the time, you're also watching it thinking she is a little bit too young for it, I think. Yeah, but she's such a good actress anyway that she carries it off and she's wonderful. And when she and Fines are on, on screen together, uh, it's just wonderful to watch. Okay, and, and he's a fan, they're, they're both fantastic actors and actresses. Okay, Mark, out of 10. Uh, I asked my wife what she would give it. She e- said seven. Uh, I'll give it eight. Eight. Eight out of ten. Yeah. Okay. And it is simply entitled uh, The Dig. Now, your second movie for us is an action drama thriller called The Doorman. Uh, yeah. Um, this <laughs> stars Ruby Rose. Uh, she plays the character of Ali. Uh, she plays this kind of special kind of operative. Um, and she's uh, when we first meet her at uh, the start of the film, she uh, has the task to... A guard, a politician, and uh, his daughter, and unfortunately, it doesn't end well. So she heads back after that. She she's, she's kicked out of the army, and she ends back uh, in New York and uh, haunted, haunted by what has happened, Patricia, and very, finds it very difficult to sleep and still has nightmares about what happened. Uh, she meets her uncle Pat um, in a local bar, and uh, he says, "Look, there's a job in a hotel down the road. Do you want it as a doorman, uh, not a doorwoman, okay. or a door person, but a doorman?" Um, subsequently, she turns out to be a doorman for about three minutes. So I don't, I don't know why they called it the doorman, but a bit it. Anyway, so it, it happens that this particular hotel is being renovated. So most people have moved out during the renovation, apart from a couple of families, one of which just happens to be her brother-in-law and his uh, two kids. Her sister has since passed. And um, one of the kids, the boy, is apparently he's begun to kind of uh, buildings and he's ended up uh, in possession of the blueprints of the particular hotel. How? We have no idea. But he has the blueprints. And he discovers that the hotel is full of secret passageways, secret doorways. Why? Secrets. Yes. We'll explain why in a couple of minutes. And um, so (laughs) we then find there's another family, too, um, in the building, an elderly gentleman who unfortunately has had a stroke and his wife. Then suddenly... Uh, Hans Gruber arrives. Nope, it's not Hans Gruber. It's John Renault with his very, very bad 
group of rapscallions and ruffians, and they take over the building with, with their heavily uh, armed um, gang of um, miscreants, and uh, they decide that uh, this particular elderly gentleman um, is an old friend of uh, Jean Renault's, and Jean Renault asks him for paintings that he had uh, belongs to Jean Renault, and he wants them back. Uh, the man said, look, I don't know where they are. They're in behind the wall somewhere. So they pres- proceed then to just tear apart the walls. Once upstairs, Ruby Rose is having dinner with her family. It then turns into Die Hard, Patricia, and a very poor relation of Die Hard. I mean, it's just absolutely terrible. It's one of the stupidest films I've ever seen. It really is. I mean, the man who unfortunately had a stroke, Jean Renault, stabs him in the leg. In, sorry, stabs him in, in, in the thigh. And uh, all of a sudden, the effects of the stroke are gone. And I didn't realize that that was a cure, but there you go. It is. I mean, this this one of the most stupidest films I've ever seen. And, you know, we, we talk about in the last few weeks about how derivative films are. And here you go again. This is just Die Hard in another name. And uh, Ruby Rose does okay. Jean Renault is all right. The film is, um, for some reason, even though it's based in New York, it was filmed in um, in Romania, uh, obviously because, of, you know, it's cheaper to do it. So you've got a lot of English actors trying to, you know, do New York accents, which doesn't really work as, you know, they all kind of talk like this, and it's kind of a bit embarrassing or a bit cheesy. Um, and the whole film is cheesy, and it's nonsense, and uh, it doesn't really work, unfortunately, and it wasn't for me. Okay, Mark, the doorman out of ten? Uh, five. Five, okay. All right. Listen, have a lovely week and we'll talk to you again next Friday. Thanks a million. That's Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. And Anna by text says about people having to travel to cities or large towns to get the vaccination. Uh, these families would be only too glad to, there are fam- their families would be only too glad to bring them to the vaccination centres. If they won the lotto, I never heard anybody complain about having to go to Dublin to pick up a cheque. The public can be very demanding at times, says Anna. Well, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for all his work on the programme this week Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we are back with you Monday morning at 10 o'clock into the line Patricia Messenger a very good afternoon look after yourself and most importantly stay safe Court Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.